Thank you, Lord. Amen. Come on, let's thank God here today. He's so good. He's so good. He's all we need. Amen. Welcome to Sandy's Bro. So nice to have you here. Special shout out. Welcome. Hey, why don't you take a seat here this morning? So it's good to feel a bit of a, a swell in our numbers here today. More seats up the back, making room. This is what the house of God is here for. Let's make room for one another. And I'm believing, Ashley, that this whole mezzanine will be filled also on a Sunday morning. Filled with our friends, filled with the ones who make this place home. Let's, uh, let's be on the front foot to welcome new faces into our community. Let's disarm the sense of isolation. You know, when you walk in, you've got to put your brave pants on, don't you? When you walk into a party and it's, it's new or when you work into the house of God or any context uh, which is not familiar, it takes a little bit of internal strength. Can we, church, disarm any sense of isolation, disarm any sense of awkwardness, and embrace one another as we enter the house of God? Amen. That's awesome. So I like this theme, Momentum. I think it's a poignant theme for the start of this year as we ready ourselves and embark on 2017. And actually, what I just saw coming to light as I came around the Word this week um, is vehicles of deliverance. I just looked through the scriptures and I noted that there are a number vehicles of deliverance which the Lord provided in order to shift someone, to bring momentum, to move them, to um, to bring the intervention for people's lives. And the first one that I want to look at here today, and these are earthly items which are made away for deliverance in the hand of the great I am. They're not just an earthly item, but they're anointed to bring deliverance. And the first one we're going to look at today is is the basket of bulrushes, which was made by Jochebed for little baby Moses. And it says in Hebrews 11:23, prompted by faith, Moses, after his birth, was kept and concealed for three months in his parents' place by his parents because they saw how comely the child was and they were not overawed and terrified by the king's decree. See, a decree had been sent out in the land um, that all the little baby boys were going to be put to death. But rather than being overawed in that moment or stuck in that moment, um, Jochebed, was, her heart was filled for, with love for this little baby Moses. She, was, she saw how comely the baby was. Her heart, rather than being filled with fear, was filled with love. And out of the, um, the infilling of love came a fresh perspective, a creative outcome. And Jochebed built this little boat for her little darling son because love casts out fear. And in that moment, in that moment as she beheld her little son, love trumped fear on the inside of her. Love overcame fear. Love casts out fear. Love and fear cannot coexist. Love always wins. Love trumps fear. And in, in that place, allowing love to arise on the inside of her, she saw a creative outcome. She went to the place of faith. And we see that she builds this little basket to cradle her baby. You know, Jochebed and her husband, they didn't get cornered in their circumstance where many would have in that terrible situation. Rather, love overcame and moved them towards a creative outcome. Let me tell you, there is always a window to your room. There is always a creative outcome available to you in the Holy Spirit. If rather than getting overawed and, and filled with fear, if rather we allow love to fill our heart, a creative window 
will make itself available to you. Let me tell you, there is always a way out in Christ. He is the great mediator. He is the great intervener. You're not cornered. Let me tell you here today, you're not cornered in your circumstance. No, you're not. No, you're not. There is a window for your future, for your possibility, and it's waiting for you to see it. As love fills your heart, so too does faith. And then we're able to see those creative outcomes, those creative possibilities. Love moves us. It moves us. It gets us unstuck. We move differently. The power of love could turn the tables of your circumstances here today. If you would allow love to fill the places, even the places where there is resentment and bitterness and and a difficulty to forgive, if you could allow heaven's love, not earthly love, our man love, our human love, it has so many shortfalls. It's, it's, It's restricted. It's measured. We have expectations around it, but no, heaven's love is like a mighty gushing river. It's like a force of nature. And as it fills us, it enables us to let go of bitterness, let go of resentment, let go of those things which would keep us stuck in our yesterday. Amen. And it says of Jochebed in the basket, they launched the ark, not only on the Nile, but on God's providence. He would be captain, steersman and convoy of the tiny ark. Miriam stood to watch. There was no fear of fatal consequence, only the quiet expectancy that God would do something worthy of himself. They reckoned on God's faithfulness and they were amply rewarded when the daughter of their greatest foe became the babe's patroness. Amen. Isn't that miraculous? Now, Jochebed let go. I think the most difficult thing for a mother ever to do is to let go that which is so dear, so sacred. A child, it's as if they're a part of our very soul. But in that moment, she let go. She released him from her control, from her humanity, from her hands into the safety and the surrender of God's providence. She actually released him from her capacity to God's providence. And as she did so, so what's amazing is that Jochebot bed, that baby wasn't just saved, but she was paid later to nurse her own child. And all the nursing mothers in the room said, amen. <laughs> it's amazing just the way God's favor and goodness permeated that whole situation. You know, when I was 18 years old, I left country South Australia, packed all my belongings into the boot of my parents' car, which included my suitcase with all my clothes, a bin and a CD rack. I know, I was loaded. I was so, wow, 18 years and the world at my feet, packed it into the boot of my parents' car. They drove me across to Sydney and I embarked on three years at C3 College and the rest of its history. But I never felt any sense of my parents um, holding me or, or compelling me back. They completely released me into God's providential care because they trusted the Heavenly Father. They trusted His sovereignty over my young life, so young, so naive, so innocent from this little country village moving to the big Sydney town. But I never felt any any strings pulling me back. They completely released me into my future. And I credit them for their faith. It was amazing. You know, powerful things start small. That little baby, 
in that little basket of bulrushes. It wasn't just a beautiful, sweet baby. It was the future deliverer of the people that that baby was born to. And, you know, I want to encourage you. Maybe there's some small things in your circumstance this year as you're walking into this year. But let me tell you, powerful things start small. And I believe there's some powerful things that are in seed form in your circumstances. I look at Silverwater. I look at all her rooms, the Maryland's room, the Bankstown's room, the C3 Cares rooms, the New Life room. And let me tell you, they are mighty. They may be intimate, but they are mighty. And, and it, they are destined to grow. They are destined for influence. This, this company of people is going to be a great rising army of people influencing Western Sydney and beyond, just as the Israelites were, just a mere babe in a little basket. But in the heart of that babe was a deliverer yet to grow up and find his strength and find his voice. Amen. Don't underestimate the small things in your life. The second vehicle of deliverance we're going to look at here today is the rod. That little baby grew up. He became a man. He found his leadership call and he took a hold of a rod, the rod that parted the sea. And it says in Exodus 4.2, and the Lord said to him, what is in your hand, Moses? The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, a rod. And in verse 16, he says, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and the Israelites shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. See, that little babe in that bulrushes basket grew up and became a man who responded to his leadership call and he took a rod as the Lord placed the rod in his hand and even though the army was behind him and the waves were before him and the people were grumbling alongside him because the Lord said, take the rod, he lifted up the rod and he parted the seas and they walked through on dry ground. You know, um, Jochebed, by faith and by love, she released that baby to the waters. She released that baby to a heavenly providence. Moses, by faith, he took what was in his hand. He got unstuck. He moved the people into liberty because he took what was in his hand, what the Lord had appointed and anointed in his hand. Now, both Jochebed, the mother, and Moses, the son, they were both moved by pressure. In order to get unstuck, many times we're going to find there's an apple of pressure, which is going to move us from our comfort to a place of mobility, from our rest to a place of fruitfulness. They were both applied by pressure. Jochebed built the basket. Moses took the rod in that moment. Now, both of these were just mere earthly items, just a basket of, of bulrushes, so humble, actually, and just a stick just a stick, but in the hand of, the, of a mighty man, anointed by a mighty God. It was, it was miraculous. It created a path for freedom. They both took what was in their hand. These earthly items weren't the source of power, but the God who anointed them and intended them put power on those things. You know, they built and they held their vehicles of deliverance with their own hand. I can see Jochebed weaving that basket, Moses taking a knife, to, to the stick and shaping and grafting and, and crafting that rod, which be, would become mighty in his hand. They built their vehicles of deliverance with their own hand. Our miracles are a collaboration, completely him and completely us. 
Can I just say the miracles that we release in our life, they're completely God, but it's also completely us. It's a partnership, an interlocking human heart and soul with heavenly power that creates the spark, the chemical combination which releases a miracle. Friends, it's going to take a a movement, an offering, um, a leaning in on our part to see momentum released in our world this year, to see a miracle released in our circumstances this year a collaboration with heaven and with man. And you know, the best place I'm seeing this right now in my life would have to be the new life service and the ministry to new arrivals from Iraq and from Syria. For 16 weeks, we hosted a service at our Bella Vista location, and then we found ourselves at a crossroad, and it seemed that the light led us to go into Fairfield, where we've relocated that service. And it's we we were paying it a few hundred dollars just to book the Bella Vista room. Now we have landed in Fairfield and we have been given the ridiculous price of just $30, just $30, a mere tenth of what we are paying to go into this place. It's like there is no reason why we couldn't or we shouldn't or we wouldn't go. It's just like the doors are swinging open with God's favor and his provision. But let me tell you, a miracle is a collaboration. You know, um, God can pour out his favor, but we have to be willing and obedient to respond, to take the rod, to build the basket. It's a collaboration with him. We have to appoint ourselves, position ourselves in obedience to him to see it poured out. You know, sometimes I, you know, I think about what heaven's um, commissioning of Nat Taylor would look like right now if, if heaven detailed my to-do list in this season. And I think what would be, be kind to Hartley, because he deserves it. <laughs> you know, invest in my children, pour all that's good into my children, build faith in my children, lead Silverwater, of course, living the dream, leading Silverwater, And, you know, the most poignant one in this season is see the new arrivals. See them. Carry them in your heart. Don't neglect them. Don't forget them. Don't let them fall to the side. See them. Invest in them. Visit them. Make room in your heart for them. Carry them in your heart. And not just see them, but befriend them. Like I look across at my friends over here, Haig and Hagop and all the family, and they're my friends They're not just people that I've crossed paths with. It's a sacred friendship. And um, church, I would encourage us to welcome our new friends, not just into our church, but into our home. Sit at the table and and have meals together. Invite them to your connect group. Go on outings together. I would love to see a sacred integration of our new friends, that we would truly be friends. A friendship is different. You sacrifice for friendship. You invest in friendship. You make time for friendship. And this is the great undergirding of the church. This is how the church flourishes. It's the sacred thread of relationships, which unites us all together and enables us to grow and surge forth in health. Amen. Come on, let's thank God here today. In Exodus 13, 17, the story um, continues to unfold and it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God led them not by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer, for God said, lease 
the people change their purpose when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up, marshaled in ranks out of the land of Egypt. Sometimes I think we find ourselves stuck, lacking momentum in a place of the wilderness because we don't have the capacity for war. And if we see war, we are at risk of changing our purpose and retreating or redirecting. War or wilderness, momentum or adrift. War or wilderness, momentum or adrift. Let me tell you, my Bible says he trains our hands for war, our fingers for battle. He trains our hands for war, our fingers for battle. And I pray this year that the things, it's almost like that, we not be able to put them before our eye. They felt too impossible. They felt like a looming mountain before us. We haven't had the energy or the tenacity or the focus or the heavenly insight. I pray this year that there would be something that alights on the inside of us that would not be adrift, that would not be neglected or put to the side, but in Christ as he trains our hands for war, our fingers for battle, we would move into uncharted territory. We would move into the places that are rightfully ours. Let me tell you, there are places of progress that are marked with your name, places of owning homes, owning cars, uh, accelerating an education. You know, God calls you from strength to strength. We're not called to rest or be left adrift, but to move into places of momentum, to advance with the great I am as our great wingman. Amen. Come on, let's thank God in this place. Now, Jochebed got unstuck because she was moved by love. And Moses got unstuck because he took what was in his hand. He was obedient. We can learn from them. Getting unstuck for me, more than anything, means letting go of the niggling little thorn thoughts that come into my mind at times or are put there by well-meaning people (laughs) and just come and lodge there. And those thoughts that come to burden and to distract me, you know, honestly, all I do, I'm a very simple girl with a simple faith, is I get under the anointing. I get in the presence of God. And as I go and be with him, sit with him, meditate on the word, get in his presence, it's like those things are disarmed. Those niggling thoughts, it's like the thorn is pulled from my flesh. As I sit with him, the thorn is pulled from my side. It's extracted from my mind. The anointing overwhelms and shifts and moves those thoughts which don't come from him. You know, in a dialogue of prayer, God always gives me perspective and strategy. As I sit with him, I feel this heavenly perspective. It's not born out of my own heart. It's born out of heaven and he shares it with me as I sit with him. You know, this week I was just um, walking around my house Monday morning. I like to pray as I clean my house Monday morning. Anyone else out there? Just me? And, um, you know, I just begin to pray in the spirit and commune with God as I'm shifting things around my house and creating order again after Sunday in the chaos of the weekend. And as I was walking, I just had this reoccurring thought, reoccurring thought. It was like this little thorn in, in, in my mind. And, I, and I, just, I, um, I attuned myself to God. I identified it. You know, you've got to switch on when you see that pattern, that reoccurring pattern. And I just began to meditate in him and to pray. And as I walked... And as I prayed, I just felt actually God give me a heavenly perspective. I was anxious about a meeting that I was going into this week with a really strong personality. And um, I was anxious about that. And as I, as I just began to lift it up to God, I felt him give me a perspective on this person I was going to meet with. And he said, view this person as you would your 10-year-old daughter. 
think of them as Sienna. Now, as he said that, that immediately shifted the way I viewed this person. Uh, now, Sienna is a personality that appreciates order and tidiness and high communication. And you're laughing, Mads, because you've got one too. You've got a child like that. And it, I, I understood that this person um, was disrupted and angsty and, um, and had called this meeting because there hadn't been enough clarity and communication. It was quite simple, but I saw it in prayer first. And that total, I totally repositioned how I would talk with this person. Rather than fight like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, I actually thought, no, I, I'm going I'm to rest. I'm going to find peace in myself. And that's going to permeate the conversation. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to let them talk all the wind out of their sails. And then we're going to find some outcomes. We're going to find some clarity. We're going to find some strategy. And by the end of that conversation, we had advanced in our friendship. We had advanced in our relationship. See, every disruption can purpose for good if we, uh, if we uh, um, approach it with a heavenly perspective. So I got to win. You know, the, what the enemy meant to undermine or disarm or, um, or, or, or um, lay me down, I got to win in that circumstance because I got a heavenly perspective that trumped that anxiety and it empowered me in that moment to win in Jesus' mighty name. Under the anointing, I remember who I am. You know, we all need that fresh reminder about who we are and, and who's on the inside of us. And sometimes I just talk to a good girlfriend. You know, I'm an independent personality. I'm, a, I'm self, um, uh, you know, I can, I can manage life on myself, <laughs> on my own sometimes, I think. But in a recent season, I found how priceless it is to have um, women friends that love me and see me, that can remind me who I am, that can speak truth and light. So when the thorn comes, when the javelin gets thrown from behind, you're like, wow, where did that come from? Then a, a friend comes in truth and love and light can remind me who I really am. And I felt like God's just been countering. It's like a tennis match. At times it's like there's one strike and then he counter strikes with a word of truth from a girlfriend. And it's like a tennis match, another, another swipe from the enemy. But then it gets a counter strike from a woman of truth and value that sees me. It's like you can't win, devil. You just can't. You don't know who you're messing with. You don't know my team. You should see my A team. My A team are amazing. My wing ladies are like, wow. You should see them. You don't know who you're messing with. Now, the next place, the next um, the place of deliverance is the tent of meeting. And, you know, God very specifically designed this place and he communicated it to Moses. He downloaded to Moses. And the intention of this place was to create a place in which God could interface with man, a meeting place in, this, um, in the tabernacle. And in Exodus 26, it says that the veil hung to separate the holy place from the most holy place in that meeting place with God. And, you know, God's presence has the power to get us unstuck more than anything else. That's why I believe in gathering into corporate church on a Sunday. As we come in, I believe there's deliverance and there's freedom and there's clarity that comes in the atmosphere of worship as we gather in this holy place. You know, the anointing oil, it keeps us free. It keeps us nimble of mind in his presence. And as we reach for the anointing, rather than defaulting to the familiar props and vices of yesterday, we will find ourselves unstuck. When we make a commitment, I'm going to reach for the word of God. I'm going to reach to commune with him. Rather than falling back to those comforts and those old rhythms, we'll find ourselves at peace. Now, the next um, context of deliverance, the greatest one, the one for all of mankind is the cross, the vehicle of deliverance 
for all of mankind, which carried the Messiah, which carried the sacred one on the cross. And it says in Matthew 27, 51, and at once the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. See that veil that hang in that meeting place, which God intended, he made up, he set up the tabernacle. He was very strategic about what he put where. He downloaded it to Moses. That veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And even though God first intended that tabernacle and first strategically intended that veil to hang, when Christ came, it was split. And you know, when God saw a separation, he saw a separation between God and man, and he didn't hesitate to split even that which was sacred to make a new proximity for God and for God and man to, to commune together in a new way. You know, he, he set up that tabernacle, he made a plan, but he didn't hesitate to tear that place from top to bottom in order to create a new place of closeness. As soon as he saw the separation, he crashed through it. He didn't hesitate in tearing the veil. In fact, the arrangement of the furniture in that place, it's all laid out as a prophetic foretelling of the cross. It's laid out in a posture of the cross. You know, there was a message running through mankind, a message of deliverance, a message of freedom from that little basket made by a woman whose love, love, I'm going to ask the band to come, love overwhelmed and poured out of her heart and she saw differently and therefore she made a basket to hold a baby that would, and in, that baby was not just any ordinary baby, that baby was the future deliverer and that baby grew up and he took a rod and, he, and it wasn't just a stick, it was a rod anointed by God, anointed by the Most High and that rod split the sea and made a way for all the Israelites to come through to pour through and then they moved to a new place and God downloaded to Moses' heart. He downloaded the tabernacle. He laid out the tabernacle in detail, specifically as the Lord would have it and they hung the veil that would separate God and man and then Christ came. He came and he hung on a cross and the veil was torn from top to bottom and all of humanity now can live in free communion with the great I Am. Come on, let's thank Jesus in this place today. A pathway of deliverance from beginning to end for all of humanity because God loves us and he sees us and he doesn't want us just to get unstuck. He wants us to remain free and in Christ under the anointing we are set completely free. We have clarity. We have peace. We can breathe easily. We can laugh at the days to come. How good is our mighty God, our great deliverer. Why don't you